the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Bring your kiddies, bring your wife. From a flying DeLorean, it's the DigiGuys. Please welcome two contributors to the invention of the flux capacitor, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Brought to you by Alexander Berlika, he's the one who made the porcelain wet. When the doc slipped on the wet porcelain in his bathroom and hit his head and invented the flux capacitor. Why was the porcelain wet? Alexander Berlika, that's why. Corey is a master of the um, obscure uh, reference connective tissue in nerd jargon. Does that make any sense? Why am I not talking about the Mets? I don't know. You're, you're, did you hear the song? Did you hear the song? I heard the song. Did you I hear the, the song? song? I did. Did I send you the song as an MP4 so you That's can put right. it into the show? <laughs> yes, you did. Because you know what? The Mets are the uh, National League East champions. Well, good for them. That yeah, makes you happy. It does. First time in nine years. <laughs> so here's what happened. In 2006, yes. uh, we were one strike away from going to the World Series right. until uh, Carlos Beltran didn't take his... Sure. Goddamn bat off his goddamn shoulders. Yeah. And he got called out on uh, strike three. Oh, Bases loaded, three terrible. and two, bottom of the ninth. Unbelievable. Broke, broke my heart. Couldn't believe it. I oh, cried. I admit it. Inexcusable. Then, 2007, 2008, mm-hmm. we embarked on um, two of the most embarrassing and uh, prodigious uh, late season collapses in baseball history. Yes. Followed by six, uh, seas- oh, six losing seasons. Yes. And then now uh, we are in the playoffs. Well, there you where go. We're going to play the Dodgers and get our ass kicked because. Mm-hmm. We are going to face Clayton Kershaw and Zach Greinke, and quite frankly, um, if I were a betting man, I would rather I would rather have Kershaw and Greinke over Degrom and Harvey and Syndergaard. Well, there you go. I'm just saying, I, I, but I'm very happy. I'll take your word for it. I'm very happy for my Mets. We are National League East champions, Wade. You know, uh, this is a little word for people who live in Los Angeles, completely independent of the whole Mets thing. Now you know Sweet Lady Jane, right? We are not they are not a new sponsor of the podcast. No one is paying oh, us if, to plug If they Sweet were Lady a real Jane. if they were a sponsor of the oh podcast, I would just I'd plot. You and I would just it By would, the way, here's it, the thing with Sweet Lady it, Jane. Yes. Okay. When you I'm sure in, in your town you have a place like this also. Yes. But when you go to an office party, a birthday party, sure. any sort of gathering yes. where there's desserts, and right. you go, Oh, what's for what do they have for dessert? Did they bring dessert? And if someone says, Yeah, they brought Sweet Lady Jane. Eyes roll in. into the back of my head, and I and I pass out yes. from just sheer e- elation and joy. So that's what Sweet Lady yeah. Jane is in Los Angeles. It is. Well, it's a bakery that uh, that started over on Melrose uh, in West Hollywood, and everybody knew Sweet Lady Jane. But you, you basically went there for cakes, but it was just lots of other good stuff. There's no never any parking, and it's tiny. And if you ate, it's just you you. It was cramped, but you you suffered through the crampedness because it's the best bakery there is. Well, anyway, they opened one on Monta- on Montana in Santa Monica on the west side not too many years ago. Larger space, bigger menu for lunch and, and you know, whatever, uh, brunch and, and whatnot. Good stuff, good food, great baked goods all around. Go there all the time. Is this going somewhere, by the way? Yes. Now? They have a new offering, Mark. What is it? They have a new offering. Peanut butter? I no longer, when I have a craving for a croissant, at the same time that I have a craving for a caniche, uh-huh. and I'm just, oh, which I can't choose. I really, really, really want that that goat cheese and spinach knish, but I also really, really, really want a croissant. 
I no longer have to choose. Huh? Wait, what is it? They have a croissant filled with goat cheese and spinach. A goat cheese and spinach croissant. It's a knish croissant. A croissant knish. What, what makes it a knish? A, cr- a, a krenish. What makes it a knish? A, kn- a knissant. Well, no, no, no. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about like like not Israeli knishes. I'm talking about like Lebanese knishes, which are not called knishes. They're called something else because knish is Hebrew. There's another thing that that. What are you babbling on about? So you're saying that, that there's a goat cheese and it's spinach. It's a croissant with goat cheese and that, spinach in it. First of all, thank you for a story that 99% <sighs> of our listeners cannot possibly understand or indulge in because they don't live in Los Angeles. But so. Is that Good. the now? Is that the first uh, uh, goat cheese and spinach croissant you've ever encountered? Or ever in my life. One? Ever in my life. I'm sure somewhere in the world I, is a goat cheese I had and no spinach idea. croissant. No, no I, one cares. I'm, okay. I'm never leaving their doorstep. Okay, here's what people care about. Yes. They care about the fact that a the Mets are uh, champions <laughs> of the National League. They also care about the fact that I made I made food. You made food because I figure now this is our second uh, IGN-less show. Uh, I, there are certain things that it seemed like based on the, on, on Facebook uh, Facebook posts, people wanted us to keep. And when I say us, I mean me, because you don't make jack crap yeah, when true. You, we do the show. Well, you want me to keep doing stuff, and that would include recipes, you, so I made you something. And there are going to be recipes on the new site. There are? Yes. Your so, recipes. Well, they're not mine. I take them from well, recipe Well, whatever. But uh, so every time... If you want to share recipes, there will be a special menu selection for recipes. Here's, here's what we'll do. Yes. Every time I make you something, I, we will post that recipe, whatever it is, there you go. on the site. Sure. So slowly over the weeks and months, brilliant. We will. Uh, you'll be able to make everything I made. That's it. That's what we want. Now, uh, would you like this uh, now? No. What, okay. First of all, I, I'm I'm going to approve everything you start with. Okay. <laughs> Do you know? Well, see. there's a reason why we're starting with that. Yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's it's not like a super release, but uh, it's cool. Well, did you see it? You saw it, right? No. You didn't see this? No. Oh, dude. Oh, dude. We are talking about uh, this week's Draft House release of The Connection, a French film starring Jean Dujardin and Gilles Lelouch. Uh, the reason we're starting with this, this is a Draft House uh, Blu-ray that includes this amazing French film, all uh, two hours and 15 minutes of it, along with a phenomenal 50-minute uh, making of documentary, some deleted scenes that are, you know, okay, not really that essential, and uh, a cool, cool trailer, a, a cool booklet, as well as trailers, and uh, you can get a digital download on this. Digital download, Draft House, going all the way. The reason I'm talking about The Connection, directed by an amazing young director named Cedric Jimenez, who... Mark my word, this guy is going to do big Hollywood films, big French films. He'll win an Oscar someday. Remember that name, Cedric Jimenez. He is phenomenal. The film is The Connection. And the reason that I, I'm, I'm starting with this, there's a quote on the cover of, uh, of the box. Mark, read the quote. Read the quote. Whenever you say that, ahead, there's only the one person who could possibly Read the quote. Be. Go ahead, read the quote. On the, no, on the front. On the front. On the top. Screw this crap. Above the title. What does it say? One of the greatest crime films ever made? Yes. It just says NPR. That's right. So you're saying that you said that? I did. I was the one. Well, you you can't substantiate that. (laughs) How do I know? (laughs) You want to see the email chain asking for approval? Yes, I do. Really? (laughs) I'll show it to you. Anyway. Wait a second. So so just so people know. Yes. So – and uh, so whoever distributed this or whoever – Draft House. So Draft House contacted you. Yes. Right, mm-hmm. and they said, "Hey, Wade, we heard your thing on NPR where you called it the." Well, I actually, fight. there was actually, I believe there was an exchange at, at first with a publicist, 
And uh, he said, what did you think? I said, one of the greatest crime films ever made. He goes, can I quote you on that? I said, I'll be saying it on the show on Friday. I mean, wait for the show, wait for film week, and, and you know, make sure that I actually phrase it that way. But I said, yeah, I'll be saying that. Okay, so you say it, and then what happens? And then, uh, and then he's like, uh, they want to be able to use that in the ads. And I said, yeah, sure, by all means. Just, you know, I mean, just give it the attribution, you know, Film Week or whatever you want. And they went with NPR, which isn't quite correct because fil- Film Week is a, is, a, is a KPCC show, which is part of Southern California Public Radio, which is an NPR affiliate. That doesn't mean that everything on uh, Film, that film Week – Film Week's not carried by NPR. It's uh, carried it's a, by a station that's it's an NPR originated affiliate. by an NPR affiliate. So I mean, there's okay. a little, you know, okay, it's no, not owned by okay, NPR. No, but anyway, it's it's a minor no point. So did you say to them, "Hey man, use my name"? No, I said, "Do whatever you want." Did you say, "Hey man, have a Digigods"? I, I, you know what? I, I, I just wanted to help the film in whatever way I no. could. So hopefully, look, here's the deal: the connection is based in it's it's based on a true story. Uh, it is. It, it, this is essentially the movie. What I said on the show at the time, and I still stand by this. This is this is basically where uh, the French Connection meets Serpico um, meets you know uh, Godfather Two. This is this is that kind of a movie, and it has all of those elements to it. It is essentially the the, the flip side of the French Connection. This is the, what takes place in France. That's why it's called the Connection. It's a bit of an homage to the French Connection. But what you have is you have two figures uh, played by respectively by Jean Dujardin and, Jean, and uh, Gilles Lelouch. Gilles Lelouch is the drug kingpin in Marseille. I lived in Marseille, so that's partly why I, I so closely identify with this thing. It takes place in the 70s and into the early 80s. You know, and I and I lived in Marseille in the mid 80s. So this is. This is not that far removed from what my experience was. And let me tell you something. The, the day before I arrived in Marseille, someone was shotgunned to death through the windshield of their car while parked at a stoplight. They were after you. That does not happen in Los Angeles. That does not happen in Manhattan. All, it happens in L.A. all the time. No. Not, not somebody pulls up at a stoplight and someone crossing the street whips out a sawed-off and just unloads right through the windshield. That does not happen here. That, those kinds of hits don't happen. That's like, that's like 1920s era prohibition Chicago stuff. But it's also what happened in Marseille in the, in the 1920s, or in the, uh, the 1970s, and uh, 60s and 70s. So in any case, uh, Jean Dujardin plays a, uh, uh, essentially a judge. Uh, he's a magistrate, but it's, it's like in France that means that you're like part uh, police captain, part judge, part probation officer. You're sort of part detective. You're all of these things, right? So uh, he's not just a guy sitting at the bench. He's actually orchestrating, trying to bring down the drug kingpin played by uh, Gilles Lelouch. And this movie is so incredibly well made, it will blow your mind. I, everyone who's listening to this show, this isn't recommended for just some of you. This is recommended for all of you. This movie is a clinic in filmmaking, and especially in terms of sound. The way he uses overlapping dialogue, overlapping audio, uh, which he does brilliantly, where two characters will be talking and the dialogue continues and we move to another scene a flashback or a scene in the future and the juxtaposition it is just it is magnificent the whole thing is like an opera of just brilliant filmmaking this is right now i'm not sure that i've seen a better film all year and I, we got some great films coming out at the end of the year all the oscar bait is coming but i mean there's no way this is not going to wind up in my top five that's it's in my top impressive. five, and it may be right at the very top. It is an amazing film. It's just unfortunate that, you know, Draft House is not a bigger distributor, and that we don't have any really huge distributors right now who throw their kind of weight behind foreign films the way the Weinsteins used to. 
or else this thing would have been, you know, I mean, gangbusters as far as art house. Amazing movie. So the connection from Draft House, by all means, go and get this. Just buy it and watch it over and over. It's a clinic in how to make a great movie. So did you like it? I love it. That's all right. Okay, uh, so uh, how about this? I'll just go through the rest of these foreign, and then uh, you. I will turn uh, some of this week's new movies over to you. No, I'm going to get you your food. Oh, you're going to get me my food. Okay, well, get me the food, and I'll finish off the, uh, the foreign, because we've got a few interesting other, other, other uh, titles here in foreign. Got a Mandarin language film called uh, Black Coal Thin Ice by a director, Diao Yinan. Uh, which was a bit of a big deal all over uh, all over Asia, China, and various other uh, festivals. Uh, it made an appearance at the uh, Berlin Film Festival and uh, broke out. It won the Golden Bear, and uh, it's a big deal. It's being released by Wellgo, who uh, their bread and butter are primarily Asian films and primarily Chinese and, and Thai and Korean films. Uh, these days, and uh, you know what? It's uh, I, I, I'm I'm surprised that this didn't get sort of a, a bigger release here because it's it is incredibly it's a cool cool crime film, and you don't see a lot of cool crime films coming out of uh, China these days. So uh, it's unusual. It's not uh, like a Hong Kong crime film from the 80s or the 90s. This is a straight up Chinese crime film, and uh, you know, based on a true story about a couple of cops who are uh, sort of trying to uh, you know redeem themselves by catching the guy who got uh, away from them. Uh, in the first place, really an interesting story, very nicely done. Uh, so I'd say look for uh, Diao Yinan in the future. Interesting filmmaker, a lot of talent, kind of a kind of a part of the new wave. Um, a terrific Andre Teshine film from Cohen on Blu-ray uh, called In the Name of My Daughter, starring Catherine Deneuve, uh, Guillaume Canet, and Adele Hayanel. Um, Catherine Deneuve has worked with Teshine many, many times. It's a very typical Teshine film, but it's also a little unusual because it's, um, it's a true story, and it is uh, actually a rather famous story that took place in, uh, in France in the 1970s primarily and then you move through you know through time obviously to the present day um interesting uh interesting family drama that deals with uh yeah. wealth oh my gosh i what? have no idea if it tastes good what is that that is a chocolate mint tart wow chocolate mint tart that's you got to take a picture of that and put that on the facebook page before i dig into that 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 needs to be that take a that needs to be posted. Wow, that's quite that's amazing. That's artistry, Mark. That's artistry. Well, here's the thing. I, I don't know what it tastes like. Okay. <laughs> well, let's hope so. Uh, let me finish this, and then we'll we'll dig in. Anyway, uh, essentially, Catherine Deneuve owns a casino, owns and operates a casino. Her, her daughter is is drawn back into the business. Uh, there's an unscrupulous lawyer. Um, and a bit of a caper thing that, uh, that happens, which actually did happen. And it's an amazing story. Uh, it is done very, uh, what, 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 are, you, what are you doing? Oh, I was going to take you, a picture of you getting me in it? Of the tart with you as you spoke. Okay. Just I'm say speaking. things. Okay, well, just in any case... about opera, and I'll take your picture. Okay. Uh, anyway, Catherine Deneuve uh, is, is wonderful in it, uh, and it's, it's, it's amazing that this story actually happened, and I won't give you any of the sort of uh, the, the, the details, but you, you, you couldn't write a fictitious story like this. It just wouldn't... Uh, no one would believe that these things happened, that these characters did these things. It's, uh, it's pretty great. So that is uh, In the Name of My Daughter by Andre Teshine, which was actually at the uh, Cannes Film Festival last year. So a lot of the stuff we're talking about made some uh, some good festival appearances. Probably. Oh, 
Somebody's the lamest smile ever. Yeah, well. As you'll see on you. Facebook, that was like the lamest smile ever. That's what I give you. Lame smiles. Uh, this showed up in uh, theaters recently and didn't do a whole lot of business, but Sony Pictures Classics uh, released Saint Laurent by uh, Bertrand Bonello, uh, which was also a Cannes Film, uh, Cannes Film Festival selection, uh, of course, about Yves Saint Laurent. Um, very slick, very stylish. Uh, the you know, As far as biopics go, it is, it is everything that it needs to be. Um, nothing particularly groundbreaking, but it's just really, really solid and very interesting. It has a bunch of uh, you know, so-so extras. And uh, it's long, two and a half hours long, by the way. Because the story of Yves Saint Laurent is epic. And then we got a little thing from uh, the good people over at Strand, Love at First Fight, which is uh, a smaller French comedy, um, you know, just a, a kind of an unusual love story about a carpenter and a, and a woman who's, you know, a little bit rough and tough. And uh, uh, I'm going to cut this way. I, okay. I, I don't really know what's going to happen. Go ahead. Do that anyway. Uh, Adele Hyannell, uh, Kevin Azay, Kevin Azayas, Antoine Laurent—all good, really, really perf- uh, good actors, good performances. Uh, and uh, if, this thing did if this very. This thing falls apart. If this thing falls apart, like all the all the crust crumbles and chocolate oozes out because uh-huh. it's not set yet, then it'll be okay. We'll pretend that it'll it, be okay. I, we'll pretend you baked it. Anyway, this did very, very well at the uh, French César Awards. Uh, it won, it won. you know, it was very popular at Cannes in the Director's Fortnight section. It won uh, Best Actress and uh, New Actor and First Film at the César Awards. It's, uh, it's done very nicely. Um, it doesn't have much of a profile here, but you should check it out. If you like French films and if you like funny, sweet, romantic comedy type uh, French films, love at first fight. It's very, very slick. Don't, and then don't I'm not going to eat it yet. I'm going to finish off this uh, Patricio Guzman piece. The box set of Patricio Guzman. Um, Patricio Guzman is a is sort of Chile's most famous director. There are a lot of good directors coming out of Chile today, but they're all sort of in the uh, in the shadow of Patricio Guzman. Uh, and these are five of his very very best films. And on eight DVDs, uh, The Battle of Chile in three parts from 1975, 76, and 78. Uh, rather extraordinary. Uh, that's sort of what he's known for primarily. Uh, Chile, Obstinate Memory, The Pinochet Case, Salvador Allende from 2004, and then the one that really, really put him on everybody's map again most recently in 2010, Nostalgia for the Light, which was a magnificent movie, just a, a fan- really extraordinary documentary. Um, so uh, anyway, he is, um, this is, the, he's sort of the the soul of Chile, this guy. He's the one that. Uh... You're not in this picture. I'm not in this picture. No, okay, good. Picture okay. This and then the tube slice. All right, good. Then I'm all right. Be be artistic then and, and compose. Anyway, Patricio Guzman, uh, eight DVDs plus a really cool book uh, booklet, and uh, you know this guy. He's the soul of, of Chile. He's the chronicler of their history and uh, you know their political conscience and all the way from Pinochet to the present day, where Chile is really kind of the. Uh, has become the success story in South America. You know, it's the it's the the most liberalized economy and the most liberalized democracy, and they're uh, the sort of paving the way despite their very very ugly past. So um, Guzman now has this wonderful box set for anybody that wants to catch up on it. If you saw Nostalgia for the Light, you know what an amazingly cool, unusual movie that is. His all of his work is like that, and uh, especially the the Battle of Chile, uh, all three parts from uh, 1975, 76, and 78 is just superb. I'm trying this way. All right. Is this what we're doing now? We have the eating section of the of the of the show where we. You know, this is pretty, this is pretty 
This makes for some great listening, doesn't it? Yes, it Watching does. To, listening to people, people eat. eat. That's fabulous. It's good radio. Okay, now, I've not tried this yet. It could be terrible. Oh. Is, what? That's interesting. That, that's never a good sign. It tastes um, tastes like honeysuckle. What? It tastes kind of like honeysuckle, like leaves. He made that up. What I'm saying is there's a lot of mint. Oh, really? Is it too minty? Um, Not too minty. It's just you have to be prepared for it. Well, it's nice. It's good. It's not too minty. No, it's good. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that's all right. Huh. Well done, baker. Hmm. So you're into baking. I, I, I could never bake. Baking is chemistry. Cooking is art. I can't. I can't getting all those perfect. There's too much to too much precision in baking. That's true. Like, mm-hmm. and there's always like another challenge. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, and, and by the way, if you read up enough about this stuff, yeah. you find ways around all the challenges. Right. Like like for instance, get this. So this tart, for the life of me, I could not get the tart off the baking pan. And why is that? You know, it's, it, it, it's a molded aluminum pan. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, when you put it in the oven and then you remove it from the pan and put it on the serving plate. Mm-hmm. I could not get, because this crust was in the pan for hours, baking, right? Mm-hmm. I couldn't get it off the pan. There's a hack for that. If you're having trouble, if you bake something, and there might be certain cooking recipes where this is also mm-hmm. helpful. If you're having trouble getting some getting a pastry out of its aluminum pan, yeah, here's what you do: you take a piece of dental floss, you're and you run me. it underneath, back and forth. That's kind of amazing. Underneath the uh, the pan, and it loosens it right up. That's dental sort of floss. amazing. See? There you go. All right. That's what the kids call a hack. All right. Well, there you go. So let's. Uh, okay. So we have some. We have some really cool high-profile docs, and we've got. Um, First run films. What are we? Uh, what are we going to d- uh, jump into this week? The oh. first run films this week. Are, I'm eating. You're eating. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you want me to just blow through the uh, the first run films because uh-huh. they're they're kind of crappy this week. Next week we got the event. You know we got the Avengers, like the actual freaking final product 3D Blu-ray Mama deal, the thing they never would send us before. Mm-hmm. Ike Perlmutter gets uh, sidelined over there, and next thing you know, uh, everything's good again. Well, we thought. We thought uh, Feig was the problem. Mm-hmm. Turns out Perlmutter was no, the problem. No, Perlmutter was the problem, yeah. Cheapskate, who's never given an interview, ever, in his entire career. Mm-hmm. Like, 86-year-old billionaire, whatever he is. Come on, guy. You're not that important. Anyway. All right. Keep eating. I'll, I'll, I'll roll through this stuff. You know what? I'm going to uh, nail, nail a couple of uh, docs here real quickly, because we've got a whole Disney thing going on. Uh, Tina Fey narrated Disney Nature's release of Monkey Kingdom. Um, you know, I have a friend. You know my friend, William, the computer programmer guy. My yes, old, who retired yeah. 20 years ago when he was yeah. rich. Yeah, who I went, to, I went to kindergarten with, and he just sits around and plays video games. And William put me in a um, Madden game. Yeah. When, when he, would he did me, too. John, he did Madden. me, too. Yeah. He put funny. all his friends in, in one of his John Madden games when he was right. writing them for, for Sega. Yeah, it's true. Electronic art. He, he just sits around. He charges his uh, – Tesla all day now. Anyway, uh, he, he, the reason I mentioned my friend William is because he is deeply, deeply offended by movies that have monkeys in them. Uh, he doesn't believe that monkeys should ever appear on screen. I'm not sure why. It's just a thing. 
He thinks monkeys are just creepy and should never actually ever be filmed. They should just be left in the jungle where they belong. In any case, Monkey Kingdom, unless you're somebody who is offended by the presence of monkeys on the big screen, uh, Monkey Kingdom is pretty great. Uh, this is the uh, what was what did you what did you just do? Mark just dropped something. It was a very professional show. Anyway, uh, the, the whole Disney Nature team really does great documentaries. They're, they're, they've got this thing down to a science. It's a wonderful uh, subsidiary over there at Disney. And uh, these films all do really, really well, and they have a great shelf life, and people like it. It's good for kids. It's good for everybody. Uh, anyway, the, uh, they're kind of putting the luster back on the classic nature documentary. And uh, here they go to the jungles of South Asia, and uh, they uh, essentially look at the, the drama of this family of monkeys. And it's, uh, it's wonderful. And the photography is extraordinary. And uh, it's, it's, just a, it's, it's done beautifully in the way they, the story's put together is, is gorgeous. Tina Fey, great narration. Really makes you feel for, for our, uh, our simian kin. And um, then we also have on the Disney front, you probably caught it recently on, uh, on PBS. It's now on DVD. Is the American Experience documentary on Walt Disney. Uh, he made believe Walt Disney. Uh, anyway, the, uh, it's, a, it's really an extraordinary documentary. Uh, it's four hours long, goes into every single aspect of his life, the ups, the downs. Uh, Disney had a lot of struggles early on. There were moments when that studio could entirely have collapsed, the animators strike. I mean, all of these really fascinating ins and outs, uh, where he deserves credit, where he deserves a little less credit, uh, where others need to share the credit. Uh, it's really, this is, if you've ever wanted to get really inside the entire Disney phenomenon, everything behind the name, the man, the, the other supporting players. What a great documentary. American Experience, uh, Walt Disney, made believe. Um, and it's uh, it really one of the best things American Experience has ever done. A uh, few other docs, so I can uh, save some time for Mark to join in on the, uh, the other regular uh, movies. Harper Lee from Mockingbird to Watchmen. Uh, of course, Harper Lee's all the rage again now with Ghost Out of Watchmen, the long-after-the-fact uh, sequel to To Kill a Mockingbird. This is from First Run Features, a, uh, a, a very, very solid uh, documentary that looks at Harper Lee and gets uh, quite inside who she was and why she's important. And um, it is... Um, it, it's not going to be the final word on this, but it gets a lot of great people uh, to join in and uh, give their two bits, including Oprah and Scott Turow, Tom Brokaw. It's a, it's a very, very solid doc. Uh, the Other Man, F.W. de Klerk and the End of Apartheid. You know, we always talk uh, just about uh, Mandela, and de Klerk never really uh, is spoken of, but he was, uh, he was the other half of that equation of bringing an end to apartheid. Really an, uh, kind of a fascinating figure. Um, often misunderstood, but uh, really this, this also not going to be the final word on this, but it's a very brisk 75-minute documentary that gets uh, entirely inside uh, what motivated him, uh, who he was, and uh, kind of gives him l the credit that he's due. Not more, not less, probably just adequately uh, gives him right credit, right amount of credit. A gorgeous documentary from Kino Lorber, The Great Museum by Johannes Holzhausen. Uh, this is, if you there are a lot of documentaries about museums. This is specifically about the uh, Vienna Kunst, oh, I'm going to mutilate this, Kunsthirishisse Museum. 
Kunsthistorisch is a museum, uh, which is one of the most famous museums in the world, has some of the greatest paintings ever. Uh, and it is a, it's just, in terms of its design and its layout, it's a gorgeous museum to begin with. Uh, so this deals specifically with the museum, the artwork, the people who work there. Uh, gives you a little bit of a behind-the-curtain look at, uh, at a great museum and what actually makes it tick. And um, I wish they'd kind of do this for more museums. I wish there was something on the Louvre for this and something on, uh, you know, the... Uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and you know, a there's a new museum in LA now, the Broad. Broad. Oh, you mean it's not a it's not a museum with like naked girls? No, it's, it's not the Broad it's Museum. El, it's Eli Broad, oh, the, the billionaire, and his he's he's doing the same thing that uh, um, Arm and Hammer did, right? Isn't he kind of putting a lot of his own artwork in it? Yeah, why not? Yeah, I guess. LA is not quite a culture town, so that's no, a good thing. By the way, true. I want everybody to to um, Google the. Um, Peterson Automotive Museum in Los Angeles because they just relaunched it with a brand new, very controversial design. Really? That um, <clears throat> they you relaunched know about this? it? No. They remodeled the whole damn thing. I didn't know that. With a very controversial design. Uh, what does it look like? A bicycle? Uh, no. The car museum looks like a bicycle. Exactly. No, I'm not telling you. Okay. But uh, it's crazy. It's a crazy design. Wacky, wacky. I'll have to drive by there. Haven't driven by there in a while. Uh, two-disc collector's edition on Blu-ray from uh, Image is Crystal Lake Memory is the complete history of Friday the 13th. Uh, this is, this is you know, strictly for people that love the Friday the 13th films, but if you do, everybody is interviewed here. And it's actually a very solid doc uh, regardless. I, I don't particularly like the films, so, you know, it's uh, you, you throw it on in the background, occasionally pay attention when something else interesting comes on. But if you love the movies, you'll love the doc, and it's a, it's a nice Blu-ray. Soul Boys of the Western Ball of the Western World, uh, Spandau Ballet, the movie. I used to. Uh, oh, I like Spandau Ballet when I was a kid. Well, you know, you know, it's interesting because uh, what got what got me thinking about Spandau Ballet again was is the fact that the uh, the Brian Helgeland film uh, on the Cray Brothers is coming out. Right, Legend. Right? Yes, Legend, which has Tom Hardy playing both of the Cray Brothers. Yeah. Well, you remember there was already a film on the Crays. Mm-hmm. Which starred the brothers from Spandau that's Ballet. Right, that's right. Right. That was back what ninety two, ninety three, yeah, yeah. something like that. Um, and that was a good film too. That was a really good film. Really good film. Uh, so uh, you know, I, I suspect that it's probably a better film than what uh, Helgeland will give us. Because even though I, lo- you know, great, give Tom Hardy, you know, the dual role thing. But you just any time you cast an actor in two parts and you. Do that whole little digital it's thing. It's always what you're paying attention it's to. It's always what you're paying attention to. You're sort of trying to figure out, oh, how did he time that so that he's having a conversation with himself? And how are the people who are around them looking at the, him at the right time? Is there some guy, like, on set with a digital stopwatch, like, queuing everybody? You know, you, I start thinking about stuff like that. And uh, that takes you it right takes, out of the movie. It takes you out of the movie. That's not good. So, yeah. Anyway. Uh, but Spandau Ballet, really talented uh, bunch of guys. Part of that whole new romantic uh, deal in the 80s. We, we grew up on that stuff. And... Uh, it's nice to revisit that. So this is from Sundance Selects uh, by way of MPI, and uh, it's an interesting story. Um, I loved Spandau Ballet. I didn't really know much about them other than, you know, liking their music. So it's nice to get a little insight there. Uh, Novitsky, The Perfect Shot is a Blu-ray from Magnolia. This was uh, this made a little bit of a, an appearance around the world. It got released theatrically, or, uh, theatrically here only in Dallas. Did you know that? They only released this thing into theaters in Dallas. I don't know why they would do that. It's a weird thing to do, isn't it? A documentary about Dirk Nowitzki, and you, you release it only in Dallas? That's a joke, because, you see, he plays for the Dallas Mavericks basketball oh, team. Oh, that's basketball. That's basketball, you mean yes. it's not Mets-related? No, that guy. Oh. That guy, the white German guy. Interesting. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, I've seen Nowitzki play, 
And I mean, this is a good documentary. It's a very, it's very kind of standard sports documentary. It's just, you know, it, Mark Cuban is probably more interesting than Dirk Nowitzki in the doc. Um, but what's interesting, I'll tell you the thing about Dirk Nowitzki. The guy is the most clutch person I've ever seen play basketball. Um, I saw the Lakers play Dallas here in LA. And I will, I, I will never forget. It was a game where Kobe Bryant dropped. I think he, he dropped like 60-some points in that game, one of his rare high 50, low 60-point games. But Kobe Bryant at the end of that game drained a three-pointer that was so clutch, like three seconds left. You're like, oh, thank goodness. There we go. We're going to win. You know, we're, uh, we, we're, we're up by, you know, two. Hey, yeah, we're down by one. He drained three points up by two. Yeah, finally, Kobe kills it. Honestly, timeout. Dallas inbounds the ball. Nowitzki, one second left. Ball soaring through the air. Buzzer expires. Swish. Three-point game. Tie. It was actually we were we were up by three. We were up by three. That's what it was. And he he drains it. He tied it. We went to overtime. It was unbelievable. It was like like three seconds left or whatever, and he just nailed a three-pointer. Unbelievable. Went Did to double Dallas up. win the game? No, the Lakers won the game, See, but we went to double overtime. But it was, it was amazing. It was just it was watching two clutch players just do this amazing thing. So anyway, Dirk Nowitzki, I got a lot of respect for. I give the guy mad props. Um, a Murder in the Park uh, is one of those you know uh, documentaries that deals with just a horrible, horrible miscarriage of justice. Uh, a lot of those now with the you know the Memphis documentaries and all that stuff. Uh, this is from 1983, uh, or the event depicted is actually 1983. The documentary is uh, made last year uh, about these uh, these guys in um, uh, Chicago who were um, well, essentially, this guy Anthony Porter was sentenced to death for killing a couple of teenagers and then in 1998 there was uh, there was a, a reopening of the case and uh it turned out he didn't do it so uh this gets into that whole ugly horrible ordeal and uh it's it's very disturbing when you when you consider just how loosey goosey the justice system can be and then uh lastly well I'll, I'll let you talk about that in just a second um lastly here we got a William Friedkin film that everyone's forgotten about called The People versus Paul Crump uh, which goes in in that similar uh, kind of miscarriage of justice vein, and this was a huge deal. This is essentially the film that started uh, Friedkin's career before he became a big narrative filmmaker. French Connection, The Exorcist, and all that. In um, in uh, he basically in 1962 made uh, a movie about this extraordinary event that took place in 1953, where a bunch of black men robbed a meatpacking plant in Chicago in the stockyards. And um, everything went, you know, completely kaput. Uh, a, a security guard wound up being killed. And um, one of the guys, uh, like four of the guys that were involved, they all got, uh, you know, regular sentences. The fifth guy w- confessed despite a really brutal interrogation and then eventually retracted it and um, wound up being sentenced to the electric chair. And this is about that whole episode, that whole ugly, horrible thing. It's an amazing doc. It was a big deal at the time, The People versus Paul Crump. Uh, and uh, it's, you, you look at this and you're like, this, this guy who's directing this, this young director, he's just, he, he does some intense things I've never seen anybody do in a doc before. Friedkin's not known as a documentary filmmaker, but he, he kills it in this film, does a really good job. Well, you, you can tell that for whatever reason, the story was very... It just meant a lot to him. It meant a lot to him. He was really him. motivated yeah. by it. He was yeah. really touched by it. It really made him angry. Yep. And that, that sort of emotion comes through in the doc. It does it indeed. Does. It does indeed. Now, we can talk about some new stuff. There, there is this one Israeli film that I have to say that uh, – now, you could talk about opera. I'm talking about the Jew stuff. because You do uh, that. I, I'm, I'm a Jew. Um, 
I have to recommend The Farewell Party. This is uh, co-directed by uh, Sharon Maimon and Tal Granit. Um, and this is just a, a, a gentle, bittersweet, slightly comic, well-observed movie about uh, mercy killing. Putting it out there. Okay, mercy killing. It's, it's you know they've they've for California it looks like we're going to get assisted suicide. And that's fine. And whenever you're ready, I will assist. I believe me, at the rate I'm going, yep. couldn't happen fast enough. Just make it painless. All mm-hmm. I ask. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it takes place at this uh, uh, a retirement home in Jerusalem, and uh, and uh, a group of friends decide to go there to help this terminal, terminally ill man Sweet. guy face the All ultimate. Right. Darkness. Yeah. Which, and which, even though it's very, it seems like very depressing subject matter, yeah, it's funny and it's compassionate and uh, you, it's, like it's really terrific. I, I, was very, I was very surprised how it took a subject that is obviously uh, very depressing and made it funny, but it, 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 was, it was very humanist. It's not trying to make you laugh like a comedy. I, I it's a actually, celebration of life. Which is wonderful. And uh, it's very Jewish, very Jewish, you know, to celebrate life even in the dark moments. And it is. And uh, I actually credit uh, The Sea Inside, the Alejandro Amenabar film, the, uh, uh, you know, which we haven't heard from him in a while, have we? But uh, I credit that movie with kind of changing this debate quite a bit. I That's do. true. I remember seeing um, Whose Life Is It Anyway? And I love that movie. And I don't know if that movie holds up or not, but I remember seeing Whose Life Is It Anyway? And I yeah. thought that was just so interesting. Because back then, no one, there was no Kevorkian nah. back then. No. And it wasn't really – that movie helped put that subject matter into, onto the front burner yeah, news-wise back then. It did. And now, it of did. course, people pretty much agree that Wade should be able to kill himself whenever he wants. Sure, absolutely. I, I, at least I, I'm, I'm very much for Wade killing himself. I could do that one day. I could do that one day. Exactly. All right, let's uh, let's get into some new movies. Yeah. Don't we have any uh, uh, mail box we, box? Sure, anything? sure, sure. Yeah, sure. All the above. Sure, we could do that. Really for today's show? Yeah. Wow, it's exciting. Yeah. I'm just saying that now do we have people who are coming. They're we not do. coming to us via IGN, stumbling well, into then, us via IGN. They're coming specifically because they like the digigods, and those people should be rewarded. Let me take a moment at this at this point in time, then, and and just say uh, that yes, you can email us or you can send us audio questions, which is part of our Vox Box segment. Uh, no, no, Mark, you don't get to do that. I'm going to have to record something more professional, so we don't have you doing a, that. A more professional, yes. That that's okay. what the show needs. More professional. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the uh, you can email us. At gods at digigods.com. The, uh, the new cinegods.com website is, uh, is, is shaping up, so it'll be there uh, before, hopefully, before too long. And uh, yes, we, uh, we take all emails, we take all, uh, all audio uh, questions for, for the Voxbox segment, and um, also want to invite you to visit gods, uh, digigods.com right now. The, uh, the temporary blog space that we have over at Libsyn, it goes to uh, digigods.com is what will take you there. And uh, use the links. All the, sh- all the titles discussed on the show will be there in a rundown, in a complete list, and they will, uh, you, know, you can find everything that we've talked about and they will be direct linked over to amazon for your convenience if you want to find any of them so uh we we are uh we're trying to get more slick and accommodating that's what we're trying to do so yes uh want me to read some listener mail yes on? come on got some new movies we're gonna do one. the new movies okay. all right we have a movie about uh, about male strippers wade's favorite film of the year male strippers we have a remake that sucked yeah there you go all right. Uh, from Lauren Meehan. 
in uh, Muscoda, Wisconsin. Wow, we go far and wide, don't we? I love it. It's great. That's cool. So Lauren asks, he says, I've often heard Mark say that uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture is Wade's favorite movie of all time. Of course, we all know how flawed and awesome that movie is, and I just wanted to hear your opinions on it. Um, so, yes, my, my opinion on Star Trek The Motion Picture. Here's uh, as much mockery as I often take. From, By the way, this, this could take hours. Yeah, no, it'll be very short. I, I, look, I wouldn't say that it's one of the greatest films ever made, but it's a film I'm very fond of. I was a very impressionable Star Trek fanatic at the time, you know, watching. We all waited and for that movie, and yeah, a lot and of people, we waited. What's the start? We waited endlessly. Well, here's the, the thing: I'm not a, I am not a space battle, blow them up, you know, phaser fight uh, kind of guy. That's not my deal. I like thinking thoughtful science fiction. I'm a 2001 guy. I'm a Solaris guy, and I like the fact that it sort of dwelled in that, in that, you know, what will become of us evolutionarily. Uh, it was very existential in its thinking. It was very philosophical. And I, and that's very Gene Roddenberry. And I love that stuff. And I'm glad that it went there. Nobody else seemed to like that it went there, but I, that was, it was meaningful to me on that regard. And it was Robert Wise. Come on, give it up. Well, Robert, Robert Wise, 14 years after he made uh, Sound of Music, he made a Star Trek movie. How cool is that? Well, he also made an Andromeda Strain. He, he definitely has some genres. He has some yeah. genre stuff in yeah, it. The, the, the Day the Earth Stood Still? It was, uh, uh, look, it was basically it was Star Trek, the motionless picture. The, the, the only thing notable, notable about that movie yes. was, was the music. The Oscar-nominated yes. score by Jer- late great Jerry Goldsmith, but uh, yes, I, I, I don't, I don't understand. Some it. weeks ago, we also made fun of Castle, the TV series Castle, and uh, Chevelle Dixon, longtime listener, said, "I have a confession to make. I'm one of those people who watch Castle. The reason I watch and why I think it has lasted this long is because of the chemistry of the cast, especially with Nathan Fillion and Stan Akatic, uh, and is fun pretty much every week. It's a fun and light hour of TV." That you can have uh, playing in the background, much like Law and & Order. And it's the same vein as Bones, which has a similar dynamic as Castle, and it has been going for 10 years. It can be ridiculous at times, but I thoroughly enjoy it, and this is my first step in admitting I'm a Castle-holic. Well, Bo- now, Bones re- and Castle, those are two shows where you get the feeling that if those two main characters did anything, they were they were bakers, well, they were bankers. Yes. People just want to see those that, characters. Those characters. And the reason that I, 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 I find this funny now is because Castle was one of the funniest jokes in the Emmy opening, in that whole little Emmy short film opening that Andy Samberg did. Did not see it. You didn't see it. I didn't watch any of the Emmys. You've got to watch the opening at least. Seriously, it's it's one of it's brilliant. It's genius. It's some of the best stuff Andy uh, Samberg's uh, ever done. Okay, what, what what does he say? Well, it's basically it's one of those uh, SNL type digital shorts that he used to do, where he, he he's sitting at dinner. I'll give you a thumbnail of it. He's sitting at dinner with people, and everybody's talking about all the great television. Have you seen it? Uh, no, I, no, I DVR'd it. Oh, and everyone's mocking him because he hasn't seen any of this television. And television is just prolific. It's profligate now, right? There's so much television. And so he locks himself in a bomb shelter and comes out like a year and a half later, you know, with beard and he's, he's completely deranged. And he's thrilled because now he's seen every episode of every single show. And he goes and launches into this big musical number. I've seen every show. And eventually, he, you know, bumps into What's-His-Face from Castle who says, have you seen Castle? Long pause. Backs up. Goes back in the bomb shelter for another 115 hours to watch every episode of Castle. Very funny. The one show he hadn't seen was Castle. That's the joke. You you realize that that Emmy broadcast was the lowest rated Emmy broadcast of all time. Because no one cares about TV anymore. They don't. They want to watch it. Also, but they, they, Andy Samberg is not the guy who, oh, my God, I can't. Oh, but what's it's not, he going to do? It's not even, At least Seth MacFarlane is like, wow, what's he going to do as Oscar host? I it wasn't even that. about Andy Samberg. I think, I think what it's about is that there's so much television now that people don't really care about the competition. They don't care about, about the competitive nature of it. it. just There are too many awards and too many shows. So it's just it's just too fragmented, you know. And the Oscars could learn from that. You gotta you gotta sort of make it interesting. 
Got to make the, the horse race interesting. Uh, let's see. Uh, what other uh, fun tidbits do we have in mail? Uh, let's read this one here. Uh, this is, comes to us from Dwayne Arnold. And Dwayne writes, uh, FYI, we made fun of, well, we didn't make fun of Shriners. I, I made a joke about Fezbook some weeks ago, right? Fezbook and, you know, we didn't even think about yes, Shriners. Not and funny, sure. didn't, didn't think anybody around elsewhere would know what Shriners were unless you're in LA or New York because it's a whole, you know, kind of show busy, Jewishy thing. Um, you know, a friend of mine, his granddad was a Shriner and he was a, a Shriner along with the, uh, Gavin McLeod from the Love Boat, who's not Jewish, but who was a Shriner. He's also not gay. I always thought Gavin McCloud was gay. Turns no. out he's married to a yeah. woman. Yeah. He's also quite religious, I believe. Is he? I think so, yeah. And he's a Shriner. Uh, anyway, FYI, uh, says Dwayne, there are Shriners in the Midwest. I've lived throughout Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota all my life, and I'm very aware of them, mostly through their circus. They use this to raise money for their charities. Thought you might find this interesting. That Did not know that. It was a circus. Thank you very much Shrine for circus. that. I wonder if the, the horses and the uh, are gay and, the, and the elephants wear fezes. Can you imagine an elephant with a fez? That'd be great. I'd love that. All right, um, and uh, we've got a couple others here, but we're gonna we're gonna hold on to them until uh, another show. Actually, uh, yeah, no, we'll hold off hold off on those for another show. But you did promise a Vox Box later yes, on. Yes, we're going to have a Vox Box near the end of the show. Okay. Absolutely. So let's, uh, let's, let's talk, uh, talk, to, talk to us about male strippers, Mark. Well, my favorite subject, male strippers. Uh, we have uh, Magic, Mike's X, Magic Mike XXL. Not, not directed by Soderbergh. This is not directed by uh, Steven Soderbergh. However, uh, it was directed by his longtime uh, buddy Gregory Jacobs. And Soderbergh, although, as he has wanted to do anyway, he pseudonymously, pseudonymously, mm-hmm. Uh, was the cinematographer and the editor, and it, obviously this movie is not as fresh as the uh, as the original, which was just a whole lot of fun, I have to say. Uh, this one still, I found it funny. You know, there's that. What I liked about it is that all these guys in this movie, and there's no Matthew McConaughey in this. They're all at that time in their life where they're like, "Look, we understand that we don't have much time left in our like hunky maleness that mm-hmm. women want to see us as male strippers." So we understand the passage of time. We acknowledge it a little bit in a couple funny bits, but let's just have a great time and just make the money and make the girls happy and flaunt our bodies for as long as we can. And I just I, I kind of like that take on it. Yeah. Um, the guy who wrote this, Reed Carlton, was the same uh, same guy who wrote the previous one. And uh, look, I, th- I thought it was funny, not as funny as the original, but a good continuation. Good cast, Joe Mangia, whatever his name is, who's marrying us, Sofia Vergara, he's in this. And uh, obviously Channing Tatum's in this, and Amber Heard is in this. Amber Heard, of course, married to uh, Johnny Depp. And Annie McDowell's in this, too, who's still just as beautiful. So I think this thing goes down easy. It's enjoyable, fun to watch. Um, not as good as the original, but still a, a, good, a good Saturday night rental. So as somebody who has not yet seen this, uh, if I really – if I enjoyed the first one, didn't go nuts for it, but thought, well, that's a nice piece of sort of – Fluff from Steven Soderbergh, you know, who probably thought one day, I'm kind of bored, not doing anything. Hey, how about, uh, hey, T- Channing, why, why don't you do some strippery things and call up Matthew and have him, you know, kind of do a do a riff on him. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, I enjoyed it, but, you know, it's light, it's fluffy, it's not real deep. If I sort of had that reaction to the first film, what will I think of this one? You won't like this one as much. Will I like it at all? Well, first of all, Soderbergh is, yeah. as a director, he has few peers. True. So it's not like you're going to get, you know, Jacobs is going to knock it out of the park, yeah. you know. So I, on that, just on that basis, All I would right. say 
by dint of not being directed by Soderbergh, you won't like it as much. Yeah, all right. So we got a we we got a movie with Tom Sizemore in it, and that means uh, that quality. He, he needs the paycheck. Total quality. It's uh, it's not you know I like Tom Sizemore. The guy's made so many cool movies, but man, ever since. Uh, the glory days of Saving Private Ryan. All he does now are just like straight to video movies where he's holding a gun in the artwork, and that's that's it. He just needs the paycheck. I, I I'd like to see him do something decent again, but he's going to have to get straighten out all those arrest issues and all that stuff that's been kind of tainting his uh, his hireability. Anyway, this is basically a SWAT movie. It's called SWAT Unit 887. I don't know what's special about 887. It's just a number somebody made up. One Adam 12. Is there anything special about Adam 12? Whatever. Anyway, it's basically is a terrorist who's going to blow up L.A. and they've got 24 hours to to stop him. Uh, You know, there's nothing particularly remarkable about this. There's nothing horrible about it. It's just, it's it's passable. But what's funny is you look at this and you go, oh, Tom Sizemore. And then while you're watching the movie... You realize this movie is just filled with people who who sort of faded off the radar. You're you, you go, oh my gosh, is that Michael Pere? That's Michael Pere. What happened? He's still alive. How does he look? He looks great. Looks fantastic. Looks the same actually. It's amazing. He's he's aged really, just like Tom Sizemore. They look the same as they did in the eighties. You're like, they look really good. And then you go, Misha Bart, Misha Barton. Didn't she have a DUI and just totally fall off the radar? She fell off the radar. Yeah. So anyway, they're all in this. I think she lives like in. Does she live in France or something? Uh, well, she's, she's British. Living? She's oh, British. You know? Yeah. You, you nobody knows that because she's never she never used it on on television on uh, the OC or whatever it was she was on. But um, there was a moment when I thought she was kind of hot. But she's British, and you know how you know she's British is because in Notting Hill, when uh, Hugh Grant tries to crash Julia Roberts' press junket and winds up interviewing the child star from the same movie, and it's a whole kind of awkward moment where he doesn't know how to even interview her, that child star is Misha Barton. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. That is unbelievable. Right? Right? Blah. And then, um, then we've got uh, Escobar, Paradise Lost, starring Benicio Del Toro uh, and Josh Hutcherson. Uh, Josh Hutcherson really is not my favorite actor. I think that guy's thank, lame. You know thank what? God he, for the he, Hunger he, Games. No, he's the weak link in the Hunger Games. I know, but that's without that, he's he would like not even lame. be. I know you wouldn't care about him at all. No, he wouldn't be on anybody's list. I don't know why they saw like Jennifer Lawrence, who's just commanding and Oscar winning, and she's just the best and. And uh, the other guy, what's his name? I forgot his name. Yeah. He's good. And then they like Josh Hutcherson. So you know, bland. The, the only thing that makes you take him much more seriously in the Hunger Games is the fact that she calls him Petey. That has a real gravitas. Ew. She's yeah. The best. Yeah. When she, when she says, every time she says Petey, I just think I imagine. Oh, yeah, now I'm taking him seriously. Are you kidding me? Call, Petey? Like it's not bad. It's bad enough. Uh, forget it. Anyway. We've seen Jennifer Lawrence in person. Yeah. So, uh, well, anyway. The uh, so this is a uh, this is a whole thing that takes place in uh, in uh, Colombia and it's you know with uh, Benicio del Toro playing Pablo Escobar the famous famous drug kingpin uh, and Josh Hutcherson as this you know American surfer who gets drawn into this whole world because of a woman it's uh, you know what this could have been a really interesting film in fact if they had just done a straight like Escobar biopic with Benicio del Toro. That might have made more sense, but they, the whole kind of weird caper kind of romance thing that uh, this turns into does not really pan out, I am sorry to say. Um, promising, but doesn't quite uh, pay off. Uh, Del Toro, always interesting, even when the, the film isn't that interesting. But, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if I – it's kind of a rental. There Wait, is. there's a movie called Cop Car, and this movie is notable for one reason – because it was directed by the guy who's going to be directing the new Spider-Man film. Oh, seriously? 
Yes, John Watts, who directed Cop Cars, directing oh uh, the standalone Spider-Man film. For, How did that happen? Uh, for Sony. I, you know what? For Marvel, this is the Marvel. This is like, you know, they. I mean, this is, uh, you know, like, you know how Spider-Man is being shared now by Marvel Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sony. But, but based on Cop Car? Yes. Really? Based on Cop Car. Seriously. And by the way, Marvel met with this guy. This is, this is not Sony meeting with this guy and vetting him. This is Marvel. Marvel. This is Kevin meeting with John Watts and saying, I think you're the guy. I... Now I, I've wow. you know I watched Cop Car. I, the, I think Cop Car is a type of movie where there's not much here. It's all you almost feel like it's just an excuse for for the director to show off his stylistic impulses and his stylistic taste. All right. Because otherwise, there's really not a lot here. It stars uh, it, the movie is about these two kids and they're just drifting around and they run and they find this empty cop car and they just decide to steal this cop car. And even though right. they're really young, they're just these, you know, joyriding preteens, and they're gonna steal the car. They're ten years old, steal the car. Turns out that the car is obviously a cop car. Kevin Bacon is the uh, is the sheriff who usually drives the cop car, and so the kids wind up uh, on the run from Kevin Bacon as the sheriff whose car it is. And of course, you know, Kevin Bacon, the sheriff, he's entangled in some in these weird little things with this guy, this murderous guy. So Kevin Bacon's looking for the murder, murderous guy. The murderous guy is looking for Kevin Bacon. And the kids wind up getting caught up in that. And there's really not much here. But uh, I watched the film saying, okay, you know, John Watts can put together a movie, but I don't know that I want to see him direct Spider-Man. Okay. I don't really see, don't, but well, again, you know, I trust Marvel, and if they, and maybe his take on Spider-Man was something that they responded to. But this, this Carr, whole this whole unknown indie director doing giant tentpole things is really hit and miss so far. You I know. know what I mean, it really is. I mean, it worked great with James Gunn. Yeah, it, know, it worked with Jurassic World, even though it's not a good movie, and it it just crashed and burned with the uh, Fantastic Four. So it's just uh, the movie was so bad. Man. Anyway. anyway, so Cop Car, um, you know what? It's 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 a short film. It's a taut little ninety minutes. It's uh, definitely holds your interest. You want to know what's going to happen. There's some good sequences in it. Um, in the end, I wish it added up to a little bit more. But uh, yeah, there's Cop Car. Uh, a couple of really interesting movies here. Uh, Closer to the Moon didn't get a lot of traction, and uh, this was a, a picked up by Sundance. Uh, it's out on uh, from Sundance Selects through MPI. Uh, Vera Farmiga and Mark Strong star. Great performances from both of them. I love both of these actors, and I'm, uh, you know, I, it's just an unusual movie. It's an unusual story, and a tough thing to market, but it's worth checking out. The, uh, directed by, uh, oh boy, I'm going to mutilate this director's uh, name. Written and directed by Nay uh, Karenfil. I'm sure it's close enough. Anyway, uh, somebody you really should keep an eye on. Uh, really, very, very talented filmmaker. The idea here, it's all based on things that happened in um, Romania in 1959, where some Jewish Communist Party members, um, for some weird reason, decided to hold up a bank. And they were caught and sentenced to death and before they were gonna, they were uh, sentenced to death, they were asked to, for the sake of a propaganda film to recreate the heist. It's a weird story. It's a whole weird story. But well, it's, it's, it sounds like an act of killing. The documentary. A little bit. A little bit. Uh, a little bit of that. Not quite. I mean, that that film. That's chilling because those are the real people, you know, and they're sort of revisiting their own crimes. This is all all sort of dr- dramatized. But great actress Vera Farmiga just continues to be one of the most interesting and daring actresses around. So a uh, really interesting film. I wish it were on Blu-ray. It's only on DVD. 
And heaven knows what, not that fond of. Uh, this is on Blu-ray from the uh, from Anchor Bay, uh, originally released by Radius, the uh, um, kind of low-budget, uh, not genre, but it's their low, low, the low-budget ultra-arty arm of the Weinstein Company. The two guys that run uh, ran Radius are now opening a, a new shingle somewhere. They're not running Radius anymore. But anyway, heaven knows what, uh, based on a memoir by Ariel Holmes, who stars in it. It's another one of these heroin addiction movies. Uh, this is directed by Josh and Benny Safdie. It's just, you know, they, they all, all these things kind of feel the same to me at this point. Uh, train spotting sort of lit the fuse, and then we wound up with the Basketball Diaries and uh, Requiem for a Dream. And I'm just, I'm sort of done with movies that just show me how, how miserable and, and decadent and sort of uh, self-destructively glorious heroin addiction on the streets is. I'm, I'm done. I mean, it may be well done, but I just, I just you know, been, I've been down that road too many times. You mean you're a heroin addict? I don't need another needle in my arm, man. Exactly. All right. Wade. Yeah. Poltergeist. Oh. Now, the original Poltergeist, which yes. was produced by Steven Spielberg, but not directed by Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. uh, that movie does not hold up. I'm sorry. That movie's lame. Really? At the, the original? Time, no. It doesn't Are hold up. Are you serious? It doesn't hold up. It's lame. It's you know, so it is, much fun. It's like a light comedy now. It's not. It's well, it was not, a light comedy at the time. Yeah, but you were still a little terrified. You, no. It, it was no, not really. Oh, stop that. No. You're trying to be a tough guy. You, <laughs> Toby Hooper, you, you knew that the, that the screws were turning a little bit on Poultry Guys. That's part of its charm, right? Now it's just like this silly thing. Let me, let me, let me, tell, you, let me tell you what I remember from when I saw Poultry Guys. I saw Poultry Guys at the Plitt Theaters over here. In Century City. Century City. The Plitt Theaters are not there anymore. They, they, now it's wa- the CA building. Well, they turned the Plitt Theaters into – they renovated them and cut up one of the big screen and turned it into a, into a cineplex. And then they literally demolished that entire complex and they put the, the freaking CAA Death Star building on top of it. So it's horrible. It's ugly and it's, just, it's, it's humiliating. But the Plitt Theaters had those great red velour seats. That were really bouncy. Sure. Do you remember that? Oh, like really, uh, yes. Like all these seats now with their little electronic reclining and whatnot. No, no, no. The real deal were what? the ones. That... What seats have electronic reclining? In have you, you haven't been into like a real theater in a while, have you? When you go to like cineplexes, go to a cineplex now. Like in in Santa Monica, the Broadway uh, Broadway cineplex deals. They they have little buttons. You like. They do not. They do. Really? Yeah, you little recline. Wait a put second. your feet up. I, I see movies in real theaters. <laughs> I uh, look. I'm seeing. Uh, I'm seeing the Walk. Okay. This week, that's okay. in Century City. Yes. Does Century City have uh, no? Okay. No. I'm seeing Jobs at the ArcLight. Yeah, I Did think the they... ArcLight rip up all their seats. And no electronics. No. These are these are like anything that's been renovated in the past six or seven years. They have the that's a whole new really? thing. Yeah. Well, anyway, so the Plitz. This is what I remember from Poltergeist. Before we get onto the little uh, tr- I wanna, stream of consciousness I go to a real movie now. <laughs> you know, you and I never see trailers. We never see ads and films. We yeah. we go to a screening. We've been doing this for twenty years now. Yeah. We go. They go to a screening. The lights go down. Movie starts. That's it. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, like it is it. what it is. I like it. Yeah, I kind of do too. So anyway, so I remember Spoiled. seeing it with a bunch of friends. Uh, you know, and whatever that was, eighty. See, same year as ET. So eighty two. And uh, I, I remember those bouncy seats. And my friend Blake. Um, who's Blake Carrington? No, no. From Dynasty? Little guy, Blake Ferris. He's a little guy. He was a little, little guy and real, you know, real energetic. And he's, he was, he was enjoying the bouncy seat, right? He was enjoying the bouncy seat. And, and halfway through the, halfway through the movie, you know, Blake's a guy, he weighed probably, I don't know, 110, 120 pounds at the time. And he, 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 he bounced so far back and he catapulted himself into the row in front of us. Literally, he kind of went, shoo, right over the seat and into the seat in front of us. 
Uh, and uh, we just started laughing, and somebody complained, and I, I, all I remember was that just took me right out of the movie. So that's my memory of Poltergeist. I think that happened at some point when uh, the little girl was getting pulled into the TV. Well, then you should uh, not see Poltergeist. Anyway. The, uh, the remake with Sam Rockwell, this thing is uh, really uh, I like necessary. Sam Rockwell. Oh, come on. How does he compare who, to Craig T. Nelson? Who doesn't love him? Well, see, Craig T. Nelson he was more of like a suburban dad. Dad. He was the dad, yeah. But it, Rockwell is still too much he's that indie. He's got that little smirk. Even if he doesn't yeah. have a smirk, he's got a smirk. So uh, this thing, you know what? Look, there are some nice uh, homages, nice little nods to the original, which is great. Some of, some of them are pretty clever. But as a standalone story, I just think this thing is just not that scary. It's not that funny. It's just I, I, there's nothing that's surprising in it. It's totally needless. Um, I don't uh, really know what the point was. You know, it's like yeah. people who grew up I on the original you. are not going to see this one. I hear you. You know, and Gil Keenan, I, you know, I just that guy just cannot put together a movie. I'm just not really uh, not a fan of uh, Poltergeist. All right. Well, let me uh, let me finish off our uh, our new movie thing here. We'll do a little bit of television and then uh, probably a couple of classics. We got some interesting uh, classic movie things that have happened in the last couple of weeks that we should make mention of, and then we will lock this show up until next week. Uh, a movie called Unexpected, uh, kind of an okay little indie. This is from uh, the Film Arcade and Alchemy. Um, this is all right. This is a uh, you know if if I mean maternity themed movies aren't everybody's cup of tea. But if you if you've got kids or if you know people who do have kids, you know anybody who's been through pregnancy, you will uh, you'll understand you know kind of where this movie's going. And it's it's nice in particular to see a movie with Elizabeth McGovern in it that's different from Downton Abbey because that's all she's done for the last six years, and she kind of didn't do much before that either. Um, and uh, this also has the guy in it who plays. Um, who is recently in The Intern, who plays... Uh, uh, Robert De Niro. No, not Anne Robert Hathaway. De Niro. No, Anne Hathaway's husband in that movie. He's in this. What is it? Uh, Kobe, Kobe Smulders, is that his name? Kobe Bryant? Kobe Smulders. Kobe Good Bryant? Actor. Oh, Kobe Smulders. She's yeah. cute. I like her. No, is, it, is that a woman? Somebody, no, it's a woman. Is that a Kobe Smulders? Who, who's yes. this guy? I'm, I'm, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Don't, I don't stop know the recording. Name. No, I'm not. I'm not. Kobe Smulders is in the uh, Avengers movies. Oh, that's who Kobe Smulders is. Okay. Well, anyway. Uh, so, Anders Holm, maybe? Is that the guy? I have no idea. I didn't well, anyway, he's a, he's, he's a good actor. Why would I go see The Intern? I don't know. It was, it was an afterthought. The only reason why I would you know go what? see I The really, Intern. You know what? I really like The Intern. Did you really? I did. Why? I really did. Well, first, let me just mention this on Unexpected. This is basically, uh, I guess Kobe Smulders is one of the two women in this. So anyway, it's uh, one of the two women who uh, basically, you know, both dealing with pregnancy. It's a friendship uh, between two pregnant women. That's basically what it is. No, the... Um, uh, the Intern. I'll tell you, it, a good movie, unexpected. Check it out. But it's, it's Nancy right. Myers. It's just like you know what? Like, Here's the thing. I talked about. I, I was with Andy on radio uh, last week. And, he didn't like it. There's no way. No, he, he, he not really. Uh, but here's the here's the reason I'm forgiving of Nancy Myers because as she's gotten older, she's kind of turned into this like protest um, senior citizen feminist where she's making movies that basically say, "Hey, I'm an older woman. Take me seriously. Stop disrespecting, you know, my gender, my age, all of this." And as obnoxious as that sounds, she makes movies that sort of have this cool throwback, old '40s screwball comedy dramedy 
vibe to them. Like, these are movies we got a fair amount of in the 80s, and they were all touchstone. You remember? It was like that touchstone yeah, I, I, thing. I know. But they're all very disposable. I, I mean, how many of those but are really like, that memorable? Well, they're not that you memorable. The, you like, like Ruthless People and uh, those sorts of movies? That's a little more broad. But, I like, you know, her last film, it's complicated, right? With Steve Martin and... Uh, and Van Keaton? Uh, no, the other one. No, no. Uh, 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 what? Diane Keaton? No, who's in It's Complicated? I forgot. It's Complicated is uh, Meryl Streep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Meryl Streep. He threw me for a second. No, it was Meryl Streep and Steve Martin yes. and Alec Baldwin, right? Yeah. And uh, I saw that with my mother-in-law, who laughed herself almost into delirium watching it. And I just thought, this is your movie. This is a movie for you know people of a certain age. And bravo for to Nancy Myers for making it. I thought there's a lot of wonderful stuff. Anna Hathaway is really, really good. I mean, really good in it. And uh, the whole thing about you know everybody has something to offer, even if you're you're older. And you know Robert De Niro has a great bit where he's the the interns are hounding other guys, all these millennials with scraggly faces are kind of hounding him, and they're like, "So you shave every day, like even Sundays?" I, I, I mean, there's great fun little generational so, so comedy like that. Let me get this straight. Yeah. In the movie, yes. Does does do those. Uh, Young whippersnappers teach Robert De Niro something about being youthful and staying young. And does Robert De Niro teach those young whippersnappers something about life? More the latter, actually. <laughs> he doesn't really learn a great deal from them. But it's uh, it's the it's the whole Anne Hathaway story that's really great, which is that you know she's a she's a successful dot com CEO, a company that she's built, and they want her to hire somebody else to run the company as it grows. And does she step aside or does she assert herself and say no, it's my company, and kind of you know hold her ground? And uh, it's you know there's some there's some wise and whimsical stuff in there, and it has this great score by someone I've never heard of, which I which is kind of like this plucky little Dave Grusin type score, and I now realize all those Dave Grusin scores I made fun of in the '80s, I kind of miss them now. I sort of do. They were mostly for Sidney Pollock movies. And a Taking a Pelham One Two Three. I love that score. That was Dave Grusin. Was that Dave Grusin? Original Taking a Pelham One Two Three. How old is Dave Grusin now? Twenty eight, twenty nine. Yeah, something like that. Okay, <laughs> I hear you. All right, uh, the Duke of Burgundy. Oh my gosh! Really, no point in seeing this. Uh, a very stylish film, but uh, written and directed by Peter Strickland, who certainly has some chops. But otherwise, really, uh, this is just about a couple of women who are doing a lot of kind of weird uh, S and M play, role playing stuff, and. Uh, yeah, it 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 you know it, it does that thing that these movies always do, which is things get out of hand and the relationship isn't kind of it. You're not able to contain it, and uh, oh dear, the you know the S and M does have its price. I you know honestly, we we don't need more of these movies. I'm so tired of them. Uh, they always do the same things, and uh, yeah, it's stylish, and I'm sure Strickland will get a lot of work out of it. But it's not unless that's your thing, unless you just love watching all of these. You know, S and M relationship, doomed relationship movies. Uh, it's nothing new there. And then an, an, a weird little film uh, that's on a Best Buy exclusive. This is a Blu-ray of Return to Sender, which is a great cast: Rosamund Pike and Nick Nolte. Uh, Nick Nolte, who now apparently only plays crazy old curmudgeons. That's that's all he's qualified to do now. But uh, in real life, he's nuts. He, I know he is. I know he is. And which I guess it's true to life, maybe. I don't know. Um, I was hoping Rosamund Pike would start to do more interesting work, but, and we've got, we've got another one, by the way, that we're going to talk about next week, uh, with Rosamund Pike in it. But, uh, you know, it, it, I just thought that her Oscar nomination would set her up to do better stuff. And she, this is an unusual thing, and I don't know. It, it's, it's not a bad film, 
It's just I expect this cast to do a better film. I expect a better film from this cast. If this were a lesser cast, I'd probably be uh, fine with this. Anyway, uh, it's essentially a thriller um, uh, about a woman who uh, is, uh, you know, uh, assaulted and then uh, so traumatized by the by the assault that it uh, it completely changes the way that she. Uh, structures the rest of her life and then so she goes to revisit the guy who assaulted her and I won't tell you where it goes from there but the, the relationship that transpires in confronting him is interesting but should be better um, it goes into kind of fatal attraction territory which you know, you're like ah, stop it, don't, don't do that other movies have done that, that's too obvious so anyway Television, Mark. Television, Wade. Here's the big one for the week. Should we start with the big one? Start with the big one. Lost in Space, the entire yes! goddamn thing. Yes! 83. <laughs> yes! 83 episodes on Blu-ray. This is just, this is the last word on Lost in Space Mark, uh, on home video, yes. You know how I feel about this? What? Oh, the pain. You're not feeling pain. You're feeling, you're feeling wonderment. <laughs> This show, I, I like this show. I, I, I didn't like it on the order that I like Star Trek. But I did like this show. It was a little cheese. I it didn't was like what, it. On the, it, it. You know what? It was not as intellectual as Star Trek or Space 1999. This was a little more of a kid show. It wasn't aimed at kids, but it was a little it, more of a kid show. It, it was it was Irwin Allen show. And all of those Irwin Allen, Allen shows at the time, apart from uh, uh, Voice to the Bottom of the Sea, were cheesy. I mean, land, you know, land of the Giants was cheese ball. Time Tunnel was just unbelievably cheesy. Lost in Space was maybe the most successful of oh, any absolutely. of them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but this only lasted for three seasons, yeah. by the way. You, yeah. you never even knew what happened to the damn crew. The show just got canceled. Well, it's the it's the, it's the Swiss Family Robinson in space, yes, but I mean, I like the cast, but you know, I like them more for the other things that they did. You know, I I it just really well I, just I like I like another liked, episode where like they're about to make it home and then the, the Zachary, what's his name? Yeah, uh, he goes, oh, I sabotaged you. <laughs> I mean, there's I you know there's a, there's an episode where they're like vegetable people on a planet, like a guy in a carrot suit, you know. It's like really, and you know what? And the I, kids and the, the the kids wouldn't eat the vegetable people because they don't like their vegetables. Anyway, we have uh, this this thing is just a beautiful box set, really one of the best we've seen so far this year up until the holiday shows when we'll obviously we'll have even more ornate and jam packed box sets. But for now, this is one of the best of the year in terms of box sets. This is uh, it's got two full length documentaries. It's got uh, a 1973 animated special. It's got uh, it's just you know new interviews. It's just great. By the way, if you're interested and you're like, Lost in Space, I wouldn't watch that for one minute. Well, you should watch it for one minute because the theme song for Lost in Space was written by John Williams. No, it was not. It was written by Johnny Williams. That's right. So 50 years ago, Johnny Williams writes the theme to Lost in Space, and it's one of the most memorable themes of that era. I, yeah. We can okay. all hum it. And uh, so if you want to see where but there the were guy... two, there are two themes to Lost in Space. You realize the first well, season one... is different. Well, there was one... They changed it in the second season. Well, there was one that was... that Wasn't it one that was like repurposed Bernard Herman music? Yeah, it was something like that. It was repurposed Bernard Herman music. And the other one was Johnny Williams, yeah. who would go on, obviously, to do Star Wars and uh, become uh, the greatest film composer of all time. But, uh, yeah, so I would at least... Okay, if you don't care about Lost in Space, at least... Go to YouTube yeah. and listen to this theme song yeah. because it's Johnny Williams at his best. Yeah. 
Johnny. Anyway, this, it's just a Blue, wonderful box. Blue, uh, that's lost of space on Blu-ray, man. That wonderful. is a, that is a that is a mega giant thing. That is yep. huge. Wow, it's, it's a really really well done. One of the one of the best uh, non-holiday. Uh, Gift box. Uh, that robot, sense. that stinking robot. I'm gonna. Now, by the way, we have we have a friend who was I'm... mentioned earlier in the show who has who shares a name with one of the main. Characters. Uh, that's right. Yes, indeed. Now, yeah. did, did, now, did he take crap for that? All the paid? time. Okay. All the time, and he owned it too, which was great. Really? Yes. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. But he yeah. would never call himself Will. Right? We 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 call him William. Yeah. Yeah. But, now, but believe we, me, in high school, in, in elementary school, it was always in danger, danger. That went on a lot. Now, <laughs> that went on now, a lot. Because we call him William. Does we do we do we call him William because no, calling just, him Will Robinson would be just too much. No, nobody ever. No, no, no ever. It just always, it's William. always been William. Yeah. All right, wait. Let's uh, let's come in for landing on this crazy show, right? Bones, ten season. This thing just keeps going and going and going and going and going. This thing. Uh, there's new episodes on Fox coming up uh, a couple weeks. And again, we talked about this about uh, Castle, mentioned about Bones. It doesn't matter what these people do. People just want to spend time with David Boreanaz and uh, Deschanel, whatever her name is, I forgot already. Emily. Emily Deschanel. And uh, yeah, now this, um, this season has um, Cindy Lauper in it. That was kind of cool. And yeah. I, I did like seeing Ryan O'Neill. Sure. Uh, looking older, but uh, you know, he's had a lot of work done. But uh, there you go, Bones season 10. No reason why you shouldn't uh, go for that. Uh, yes, way. What do you no, think? I, I, I'm, I, I want to. Fresh off the boat is a uh, kind of a controversial show that wind up being kind of a bit of a hit. Um, this is the story of uh, of a family of immigrants and they're uh, living in America. It takes place in the '90s, and you know, it seemed as if it was going to be totally cliche, but I think this really was. Uh, it resonated with a lot of people who. Are, we're not born here, and they're trying to assimilate into the United States, and it's got kind of that fun modern family vibe to it. It's like it's funny, maybe a little bit silly, a little bit out there, you know, part of the humor there. So um, I think that I had no hope for this. This thing looked like it was going to be the lamest show of that season, and it turns out to be uh, pretty good. Lots of, uh, you know, culture you know, culture class jokes Swank-erific. and whatnot. Swankerific. Fresh off the boat on ABC. Yeah. And then we've got an interesting little uh, German series here. Now, this is interesting to me because um, most of these European shows are megahertz. Or not megahertz. I should correct myself. They don't like us calling them that. MHZ Networks. MHZ Networks uh, has been just completely raiding all the great European uh, non-English language television and bringing it over. And obviously somebody uh, got wind of that and went and uh, said, you know what, maybe we can make a buck or two off of one of those here. And Sundance TV... Uh, brought one of those series over, which is now out from Kino Lorber, and uh, that show is called uh, Deutschland 83, uh, with the tagline, Over the Wall, Under the Gun, which tells you everything that this is. Actually, it's a really, really sharp show, uh, incredibly well done, very high production value, which is not necessarily typical of German television. A lot of German television is really, really lowbrow and junky. Uh, which is why people like Wolfgang Peterson try so desperately to graduate from German television into, you know, miniseries, which they turn into movies, which they then use to jump over to the United States and never, ever go back and have to suffer through low-paying German television work again. Uh, but this is really top-notch. Um, it is essentially a Cold War drama. And uh, obviously, as the 1983 backdrop would tell you, and... Um, it is it is really fascinating the uh, the whole you know East German dynamic the uh, 
the the whole you know how how we're going to deal with the tension between east and west uh, all of it centering on this uh, this young 23 year old east german uh played by jonas nay it's very very in- very very interesting very politically astute and uh for people who don't remember the cold war i would say quite an education so uh interesting extras too which includes a Q&A with the goethe institute uh pretty cool you're in my building Oh, that's right. They are, aren't they? Yeah, in the, yeah. Building, the building where I work, the Goethe. Yeah. They, they do. They, they host a lot of cool German cinema stuff in they LA. Do. They do. You'll uh, you'll see them. Uh, they'll list at the front door the All latest the series doing. of programs yeah. that yeah. they'll have. And it's, yeah. uh, it's interesting stuff. And then I make fun of them because they're German and I'm Jewish. I, mean, I, hey. hate, them. I hate them all. Uh, Homeland. Homeland. Go on. Carry on. Okay. Homeland okay. season four. Um, when Homeland Season 1 came out, it was like a phenomenon. Everyone loved it. It was the return of Claire Danes. I love Claire Danes. Now that we're four seasons in, it's sort of – it's not becoming old or stale, but, you know, obviously that freshness has worn off. And now, of course, you know, Claire Danes, she's now the, you know, the station chief and she's, she's you know, stationed in, in, in Afghanistan. And so it's, be, it's just as intense, but it's becoming a little more formulaic. So I like this season a little less than some of the other seasons, but uh, – Showtime is uh, staying with it, and it's got a lot, it's a lot of intense stuff. It's got a really good cast. Manny Patinkin's in it, and uh, the the uh, uh, the Blu-ray has a bunch of special features, including some character profiles. And uh, yeah, so if you like Homeland, I don't you'll like this. To me, it's better than season three, but not as good as season one or two. All right, Mark, it is time for Vox Box. <gasps> Can I do the thing? Do the thing. <laughs> Hi, Mark and Wade. This is Kevin Lower, longtime fan. I wanted to follow up on the Vox box from Eric Altieri from episode 388. He had started his question talking about the home movie market and how it's going digital. And I want to know, how do you feel about the speed that we're coming to this digital future? One of the things I'm worried about is that the internet is really holding us back. You know, Eric was comparing um, movies to music, but I'd say another good comparison is to video games they suffer from the same limitations since making the transfer to high definition, and that's the file sizes. I mean, whether it's streaming or downloading, not everyone has fast internet, and without it, it's hard to do either of those things. The other problem, too, with the internet is data caps. I know not everyone has data caps anymore. Most people are moving towards unlimited, but you know, I live in Canada, and the plan that I have is a, you know, a moderate one. But I get 100 gigs a month, and most of it is used for Netflix. So when I'm on using Ultraviolet and things and downloading movies, it just eats everything up. I'm on the Netflix website right now, and it says here for high-quality video, they use 3 gigs an hour for HD and 7 gigs an hour for Ultra HD. So, you know, 100 gigs isn't really going to cut it, and it'll start spending more on bigger plans. So... I mean, I would say we're moving pretty good towards this digital future that we've got here for movies, but until the internet infrastructure here in Canada, U.S. sort of catches up, I think there's only so far we can really go. I want to know your opinion on that. Thank you very much. 
Mm, thank you, Kevin. Really good question. Um, he's Vox Boxing based on another Vox Box. I love I that. That's, that's a first. first. <laughs> we said that at yeah. the same time. James. We did. Oh, it's hold my hand. Hold my hand. I'll pass. Okay. Um, well, what do we think about the merits of his uh, I, statement? It's. I think this is. It's a. It's a really important subject. Um, not just where the internet is concerned, but uh, it's funny. I was talking to our dear friend Sean, who was my DP from film school. And who you know very, very well. You've, you've produced a feature film that Sean actually shot. Yeah, quote-unquote feature film. <laughs> but, um, you know, Sean is like the genius of all things tech, whether, you know, he's, he's, he's you know, run a post-production house and he knows all things pertaining to sound and all of this stuff. And we were talking about the uh, how completely frenetic the HDMI 2.0 spec is right now. There's sort of no one really knows what the spec is, what the, what the color space is. Um, everybody's focusing on more pixels on TV as opposed to better pixels and he goes now you'll have you know like ultra high def but the pixels are still 8-bit video when it would be nice to have at least 16 or 32-bit video you know what I mean it's like these are this gets into a technical area that's far beyond your average layperson all they know is UHD more resolution and everyone kind of misses the fact that uh, we're sacrificing a lot in all of these technologies in order to get them out there and to exploit bandwidth and be affordable and uh, that pertains to you know Netflix and the internet and everything else is that everybody wants stuff now and they want it quickly and then they realize after the fact that they're not quite getting the quality they had hoped for and that wanting something fast and wanting fast internet and wanting a lot of data and everything you know there's a trade-off and and I think eventually people will recognize that trade-off which is why I think packaged media is going to be around for a very very long time well I think people tend to get confused because you know the the home video industry they throw on these numbers and 2k must be better than well 4k must be better than 2k 1080 must be better than 720 this must be better than that and not that it's not but you also need these other things you need the new cord you need the new you need the new receiver all this other new stuff and there are other metrics too other than just resolution and data rate and all these things they give you i mean it's when when you look at a movie that looks really really good whether it's streamed whether it's uh on blu-ray whatever the case it's what you're seeing that looks good is more than just data rate and resolution. There is color space. There is the, the bit depth of, of a pixel. There is, you know, the quality of the, of the cabling, the length of the cabling, whether or not you're, it's funny, Sean was even telling me yesterday, they, what he, you know, he works at CBS now. And uh, he, they compared all these different streams, right? They compared their their feed going to uh, Time Warner, their feed coming out of DirecTV, they, their feed uh, that was coming off of the uh, over-the-air, the HD over-the-air signal. And the over-the-air signal was still the best. You know, you, even if you're going through cable or fiber, you're not necessarily getting, we think, oh, that's where it's going to be the best bandwidth. But not necessarily. No. And also something, too, is that... You know, a lot of America, they don't have access to super high-speed right. internet. And and I think I think eventually the whole concept of compression, um, eventually that's going to turn people off. Uh, I think as people begin to, uh, as resolution gets better and better and better on packaged media, when people start to see what ultra-high-def Blu-rays look like, um, and, and when we move beyond that to some other form of packaged media where it's, it, you know, you can, you can put more uncompressed data onto a chip or something, uh, or even onto a hard drive, I think people will begin to realize they may, they're making some pretty horrible compromises for the convenience of Netflix. And, uh, I think ultimately, 
people are going to, you know, you're going to have those two tiers that I've talked about before, which is the equivalent of the VHS sell-through and uh, and rental markets, which is streaming will be your rental for the stuff that you only want to see once. You don't care about quality. But if you want to watch, you know, the Avengers or whatever, you know, uh, Academy Award-winning, uh, you know, mega epic, uh, you know, is all the rage, whatever the case may be, like The Revenant this year is going to look amazing. No one's going to want to see the, the Revenant compressed and streaming. You want to see that sucker as amazing as you possibly can. So I think people are going to have their own home servers, and they're going to they're going to bypass those data rate internet limitations by just having a, a really kick-ass home home uh, home server and a network. The sad part is that I bet there are people who do want to see the Revenant in their home, and they don't care what it looks like. Yeah, you know what's that was, that was like that, that that really funny tweet by Albert Brooks, where he says um, he, he I forgot what the tweet was, the exact word, but he's like. Just saw gravity. Amazing. Can't wait to watch it on my iPhone. (laughs) Perfect. With that, we'll be back next week.